Hey, this is Ronnie Altit, CEO and founder of Incentra. This is the podcast version of our show, The Download. The video version has more bonus material in it, so go and check out the videos at incentragroup.com where you'll find this episode and many more. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Incentra Download with your host, Ronnie Altit. This is not your average IT podcast. It dares to be different. Find out what's happening from the best in the industry. Thanks so much for listening. Today I'm joined by Susan Searle, President and Publisher of ARN. Susan has been in the industry for a number of years, I think it's over 30 years now, um, and she's been involved with over 60 different publications, websites, events, um, incredibly, incredibly influential in our industry. So Susan, thanks for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Tell us, you know, Susan, what's a day in the life of the publisher and president of ARN? <laughs> I have a personality where I hate routine. So the reason this job suits me so fabulously well is no two days are the same. So obviously I start each day and I start really early. I'm a sort of five o'clock waker and look at my calendar and I've probably planned for a little bit the night before, but there's the skeleton of my day. But then in the world of media, in the world of events, no two days are the same and everything goes absolutely haywire and there's always the joy of not knowing what's happening next. Well, isn't that wonderful to have a job that you can just do something different every day? It's very fantastic. fantastic. Um, I guess, though, if there was a structure, I love to do breakfast. I used to be a lunch girl back in the 90s, um, but that's actually turned into being a breakfast girl okay. in the 2000s. So a lot of meetings in breakfasts? Yep, do breakfast yeah. meetings. Um, I've got a couple of cafes that I like to use, one in mm-hmm. North Sydney, one in Neutral Bay, uh, and I meet with clients and we meet with customers, and that's a very good start to the day always because it's... Um, we're fresh, we've got ideas, we can bounce them, mm-hmm. and it's compressed in time. It's absolutely done and dusted. In fact, I think you and I have had a breakfast, we Ronnie. Have indeed. Um, and then that's when I start, and then it kind of goes into maybe a couple more meetings during the day. But I like to spend time in the office. I have tried to work from home, but mm-hmm. actually I'm a very social person, so I like to be like in to the be office. in and amongst it. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably a perfect segue into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is ARN has a very strong sense of community and does a, does a really wonderful job of building the IT community. Tell us about that and tell us about your thoughts around that and what it takes to build such a community. ARN is first and foremost a media brand. And I think that that was our history, that's our foundation. And that actually gives us our biggest single advantage in building a community, because if we do what we do, which is to provide high value editorial and content to our audience or our community every day, then there's going to be an ongoing engagement with them, which Mm -hmm. is rare and such an incredible opportunity for any brand to know that people will come to your brand every day and touch it and experience it and engage with it because that's where they go to get their information and their content. Mm -hmm. So it's a very rare position 
for a brand to have to be able to build a community. So that's the organic part of our community building and we value that very, very highly because that's the way we engage on a, on a passive way mm -hmm. every day with our community. Now, over the last two decades, we've actually developed a very strong events portfolio which gives the opportunity for a structured community. Mm -hmm. uh, but predominantly, um, the basis and the foundation is the quality of editorial and content we provide our readers every day. Mm -hmm. And look, the editorial and content is always is always very, you know, I, I look forward to receiving those mails regularly to see what's going on in the industry and, you know, see some of the movers and shakers and the changes. Um, but the events have always been fantastic. Like, I love the ARN events, you know, firstly with Edge, which is something that you sort of started only three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, the ARN Industry Awards, which is great, the Hall of Fame, the Women in IT. You know, these are all issues that come out of a media source, which is not necessarily a traditional place that those things would happen. It's usually an industry body that would be bringing those things together. But you're, you're so well placed and so much about building this community that that's something you've done. Tell us about, you know, what, do, what does it bring back to Australian reseller news as an organisation as you build this community? Um, I'll just come back a little bit and I think what you said is, is very real. When we established ARN, uh, the, the channel was a very loose community. Now I'm talking over, it's probably nearly, it's 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. ARN was launched as a, a very sleepy brand in 1991. So my son's 26, so in fact I know it was 26 years ago. Right. Uh, and I can tell you that those first five years were extremely tricky because there was no value attached to the channel. Now the channel was actually mobile by then. It had started, there were great pioneers of the channel who were, um, who were setting it up and we've still got some of those people today. Gary Jackson is mm -hmm. one of the names that springs to, to mind. You know, there were some great channel players happening in the early 90s. Um, Lionel Singer was one of the, the great fathers mm -hmm. of the channel. So all of those, those things were happening, but there was no industry association. And I think you chose really wise words there to actually develop that opportunity of there being a lobbying group. Mm -hmm. So by us establishing in 1991, a brand, ARN, which was for the channel, there suddenly was a voice and that voice was able to be built into a community. And so there was a lobbying positions. The vendors therefore weren't able to dismiss the channel, dismiss their distributors, dismiss their resellers, mm -hmm. they were, suddenly we were a force and we were able to be more powerful, we were able to prove our worth, we were able to stand up to companies that had a direct sales model and say, hey, look at us. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, the value of the community and as an industry association has been absolutely extraordinary, not only to my brand, but if I dare say, to the channel. Absolutely, and I think, you know, I know from talking to a number of my colleagues in the industry that, you know, things like um, the ARN Industry Awards, that's a night that everyone looks forward to once a year on their calendar. It's like, yeah, it's always a fantastic night. Um, and, you know, there's an interesting question I have for you, and that is the Hall of Fame. So oh, you would be very interested in I that, I am Ronnie. very interested in that. Thank you. And we haven't had an opportunity to talk since I, since I was inducted because of my travels, etc. So I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask for the audience because I think there's a number of people who, are, who maybe would aspire to be in the Hall of Fame or wonder what the Hall of Fame is about. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about what it's about and what, you, what your, your vision is with it? Okay, the Hall of Fame was founded because there was a need for recognition of people who had had 
a longevity in developing the success of the channel in Australia. These were people who'd been committed either over a long period of time, some of them over less time, but in a very compressed way to the success of the channel. Mm -hmm. And they were true channel players and they were um, always giving back to the channel. So uh, we started that 11 years ago and we've been inducting pretty much always three um, people into that Hall of Fame, three members into the Hall of Fame each year. And they then come together um, either formally once a year at a lunch where there's great discussion and great uh, understanding of the strategies for the channel going forward and a little bit of fun. <laughs> um, but then they're also utilised in a lot of different ways. One of the most exciting ways was that several years ago now, I think four, we established the Emerging Leaders Program, which uh -huh. is associated with the awards and funded by the awards. And that is to actually bring new talent within our industry forward. The Hall of Fame are very involved in that in a mentoring way. Uh -huh. So they come to a day which is committed to um, networking to presentations and to mentoring and they give their time for an entire afternoon um, where they talk to people who come to that program and then a lot of them have ongoing relationships with the people whom they've met during that time. That's fantastic so it's it's not just an acknowledgement but it's also an opportunity for some of those people to give back and help Absolutely. help other people come through which I think you know as you know I'm passionate about doing mentoring and, and, and helping so I think that's really a wonderful thing. So you know, just to sort of talk about the vendors for a little bit, you know, we speak a lot about the channel, but ARN's not just about the channel, it's about uniting the channel, the distributors, the resellers, everybody together with the vendor. So what do you think that still prevents vendors from truly embracing, like, you know, what Incentra call a partner-obsessed model? Uh, okay, I will actually initially challenge what you're calling the channel, because we don't leave vendors out of the channel. We actually say the channel is the vendor, the distributor, okay. and the partner. And when we refer to the channel, we always include them because it's very important to. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's part of the, that whole process that we talked about of making sure we have their attention and making sure that, that they see the value of the partner and of the distributor. Okay. But coming back to that, I think, and this is a question we consider all the time, and I've had reason to consider it a lot recently because I've just been to Oracle Open World. And if you think about vendors who've got a very strong direct model, even though I know there's some strong partnerships around Oracle, uh, then you would consider them. But let me talk about it and then I'll come back to Oracle because I think there's some interesting things going on there. Uh, I think it's a legacy issue. Any logical strategy around selling the most stuff you can sell mm -hmm. would include a channel. It's just logic. If you have more people out there who are experts in their field, who are able to build applications and solutions around your products, mm -hmm. then you're going to sell more stuff. So why isn't everybody embracing that 100%? I think it's legacy. I think that the blue suits that we used to hear about from IBM, and I'm not blaming IBM, IBM's been very successful in making moves forward to, mm -hmm. to um, progress their channel engagement. Uh, but if you think about that blue suit brigade, they're very protective. The personalities within that are very protective of their turf. Why would they want to include a, a partner whom they think will in fact compromise their margin mm -hmm. when they can go direct and have that relationship? So I think that 
I think actually, bless their soul, as a generation leaves us within the channel, including at the at the vendor level, I think there's a lot of logic that will start to happen that the channel is what should be embraced mm. and the and the value of the channel will become more um, covert, sorry, more overt. Um, getting back to that really interesting Oracle model, it was wonderful to be at Open World and to see the exciting things going on, not just with technology, but to see the, the, the way that they were embracing their channel. And I interviewed 19, I think, Australian partner partners who were Oracle partners and the work they're doing is extraordinary but they're all experts in their field they all have incredible value to add and they are going forward and in fact while we were at Oracle they talked about one of their new ISVs who is SAP right uh, so we made an announcement there was an announcement made around that and right. I thought that was extraordinary talk about embracing a channel you take two people who traditionally had been viewed as head-to-head -head competitors yep. and then suddenly they were cooperating and working one as an isv for the other so that to me is a great step forward that is a great step forward and we've seen it recently with microsoft and aws as well absolutely right? with you salesforce know, and, and salesforce AWS. and aws too like yep. it's just, it's it's a wonderful thing to see how how the vendors are now recognizing that really what they're there to do is to provide something for the end user for the consumer for us yes. right in the business I think Sachin Adela puts that you know perfectly the way he talks about you know his vision absolutely and I think it's the recognition that a channel having a channel partner is no longer just an a dealer or a VAR mm -hmm. that the channel now is such a broad definition and startups and ISVs and developers and applications, software people, all of these extraordinary companies that are building businesses all around the vendor ecosystem mm -hmm. are adding such extraordinary value to GSIs. You know, all of these people are now part of the channel. It is no longer, I think the spider web um, is a very beautiful picture about this. The channel is no longer that linear model. Mm -hmm. When I was talking before about vendor, distributor and partners, I was using that very generic term of partner to, to, to describe all of the people who are actually touching the customer. And, and that's what we spoke about at Edge, right? In the panel, yes. the panel conference that James Henderson, had, that I was a part of with James, was indeed that partner of the future. And the partner of the future is very different to the partner that you would have seen 25 years ago, Absolutely. who was struggling to get the IBMs of the world to recognise their value and, and to go to market. Yeah. So, I mean, how are you doing with this, by the way? We've got you sitting on that side of the fence. Normally, it's you that's interviewing me and it's your team that's interviewing me. How are you going with me doing the interviewing here, Susan? This is, for anyone who knows me, this is just such an odd situation. Um, I'm a great listener. I, I value that within my, within my personal characteristics very highly, is that I love to listen. I'm very curious about people. And I really want to know as much as I can. So for me to be sitting here and answering questions is very foreign. But it's quite nice to have a voice. I think you're doing really well too. And you do have a voice. And that actually is, is something I wanted to talk about with you. You know, if we look at the IT industry and we look at successful women in the industry, you would have to be up there as one of the most successful women in our industry. So, and you've had a lot of experience in doing so. In, in, in that, and that it's not to take away from other women that have been successful. There have been some really, really successful women. If you had a few pieces of advice for some of the women who are coming through our industry now, and it's not easy, right? It's largely male-dominated, we know this. What, what are sort of some of the pearls of wisdom that you'd be able to share with someone who's just coming through and going, well, how can I really break through and be successful? 
people talk a lot about authenticity right now. It's one of the buzzwords, and particularly within um, women in ICT, it's it's a word that's used a lot. Some of the greatest speakers we've had at WICTA, our Women in mm -hmm. ICT Awards, and within our WICTA um, alumni uh, meetings that we have is authenticity. I cannot speak highly enough about the value of bringing your real self to work. I um, was kind of elevated before I was ready in the 80s, late 80s. Somebody said to me, do you want to be publisher of Computer World? Probably my boss, actually. And <laughs> I said, oh, no, I'm, this, this isn't what I do for a career. This is just fun, you know. I'm, no. But anyway, despite my protestations, I actually um, became the publisher of Computer World. And I was absolutely at a loss because here I was with this very important title of this very important brand and I thought well, who do I have to be so I thought I had to be um, what I considered very male so I thought I needed to be harsh and strong and stern and I started wearing suits with big shoulders and and not understanding that in fact that was really not important <laughs> in fact it was making me two different people so I'd go home or be with my friends and be kind and bubbly and friendly and then I go to work and be very ferocious mm -hmm. and what a poor mistake that was and I think had I had the value of a mentor at that time I would have actually been able to understand that was the totally wrong way to mm -hmm. go and I would have got myself into a position where I could be myself so I think it became a real hurdle for me because if you don't like who you are at work then that's a problem. Absolutely. You actually have to like who you are. And I think that leads me into another thing that I think is incredibly important is passion. Mm -hmm. You have to have passion for what you do. And uh, I'm extremely passionate about the industry, extremely. I love the industry. I love my brand. I love the fact that we can all work together for success. Mm -hmm. I'm passionate about that. Uh, if I were to think of another thing to tell women, uh, so I know I think I've said the things I would say. Be authentic. Make sure you've got someone to guide you. Mm -hmm. Look for mentors. They can be, they can be casual. They can be formal. Um, but and look for role models within that. And um, and then the final thing is passion. The other thing is that striving to get into leadership positions is one thing, but having now been a leader for some time I see myself as a learning leader mm -hmm. I'm not a leader who knows exactly who I am I'm a leader who is fallible who's flawed and I'm constantly questioning myself and questioning my team to see if what I'm doing is right for them and is it impactful am I doing the right thing I don't have the confidence to actually believe that what I'm doing is right every day now maybe men are better at doing that but if you're a woman and you don't have that as a natural instinct, well then just consider yourself as a work in progress and be better every day. You know, and I don't think, you know, I can, I can give you a masculine view on that. And that is, I think that that's normal for just about everybody, right? I think, you know, there's a lot of fake it till you make it out there. Yes. There is no doubt about that. And there's a lot of things that happen, you know, in a day to day that you just go, well, gee, I don't know. And am I doing a great job, et cetera. And I think it's important to question that. In, in yourself because if you don't question it well then how do you grow if you think you're doing it you think you're doing everything great then then I think you've already lost yeah you know is my view so I'd, I'd actually say to you Susan that I you know that's something that I, I think everybody should be doing on a regular basis you know just thinking about that do you think that do you think that you're a learning leader absolutely you... yeah yeah absolutely you know that 
I, I often say to people, can you please tell me what I'm doing wrong? Can you please tell me what I can do better? You know, I don't want the pats on the back. I actually want to know what I can do to be different, what I can do to be better, how I can add more value, how I can have a more profound impact. You know, is what I'm doing working? Is it not working? And I think as well, when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting your own business, you have to be thinking that way. You know, I spend a lot of my time thinking about where can I take our business? And I spend a lot of my time thinking about what's gonna stop my business getting there. You know, what's gonna go wrong? What, 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 what weaknesses or what things inside of me do I need to develop or do I need to hire around me to make sure it happens? So yeah, I think like that a lot. I think it was you who said, and I think it's one of the best things that I've heard in 2017, it might be one of my key takeaways, is that we're all talking about being customer focused and customer centric and the, and the importance of the customer mm -hmm. and that we invest in the customer, we learn about our customer. But I think what you said is how important it is to actually have that same level of investment and and determination about your employee experience Absolutely. is quintessential. And I took took those lines when you were doing your fabulous acceptance speech at the Hall of Fame and I thought that was really something to learn from. So thank you, Ronnie. Oh, my pleasure. And say, you know, you lead into another question there, Susan, which is what are some of the key takeaways from 2017? You've seen so much. What are the things that stick in your head? You've given one thing, you know, there's, there's things that would be sticking out in your mind as well. Wow, that was really profound. That was prolific. That was... Uh, I looked back at the predictions that we made in January about mm -hmm. what we thought was going to happen in 2017 and I think it's a very interesting scenario because has it been a high impact year in terms of technology? Has it been a, a, a year of extraordinary change? Probably not. Mm. But it's constant change and I think the movements that we've seen and ARN's been full of it, of people going from company to company, I think that's actually a sign of a very healthy industry. It's an industry that's really buzzing and growing and we are seeing enormous movement within within the vendor level, within the DISTI level, mm -hmm. within the partner level, and then crossing over and people going from DISTI to vendor and et cetera, et cetera. I think that is very, very telling about the excitement. Tech's fantastic at the moment. I remember when I was starting to work with IDG as a global tech media company, I kind of would go to cocktail parties and say, yeah, I work in media. And people would get really excited. And then they'd say, oh, what are your brands? And then I'd reel off Computer World and they'd go, oh, that's computer stuff. <laughs> and I'd kind of go and hide in the corner. My moment of fame had disappeared. Now, if you talk about being involved with tech, it's seriously cool yeah. and seriously coveted. And I think that's a, a very fabulous thing for the industry. So I think we're in a time where people are wanting to get into the industry, where people are wanting better jobs within the industry. So that's the movement. So if I were to look at one of the trends in 2017, then I would say that's the case. And it's the year of the startup. We have just right. had such an extraordinary time watching all these wonderful tech companies, uh, whether they're doing things around apple farming in, New in Tasmania or if they're doing something in the mining industry or wherever they are. These wonderful tech companies coming up with extraordinary solutions and clever minds. We have, uh, over a year ago, we started looking at startup spotlight mm -hmm. within our magazine and where we do six or seven startups in every issue 
And I think to date we've done nearly 100 startups that we've profiled in various ways throughout the year. Um, and we introduced a startup category at the awards mm-hmm. this year. So it's the year of the startup. And again, that harks back to tech is cool. Absolutely. Like the, the television show of Silicon Valley, which yep. I don't know if you watch, but I find that extraordinary because it's so exciting. And it's and, real. And it's real. <laughs> and yes, look, some of them are super nerds in there, but some of them are just really interesting sort of casual people who want to get into this industry. Yeah, and, and right now it's kind of cool to be the geek. It's Oh, and coding. It's coding. Yep. I've been talking to people recently who are going back to learn coding or they're teaching themselves coding. You know, I think that's really exciting. Yeah, it's great. And, and so for 2018, you know, what's ARNs? Is there anything, you know, that you can share with us that you've got planned for 2018 that you're willing to talk about? Or is it going to be more of the same? You know, what, what's I'm looking straight at the camera like? here wherever <laughs> I'm looking. Um, we have some plans for 2018. Um, I have a very exciting team reporting through to me who are full of ideas and keep me on my toes. And as I talked about earlier, I'm only happy when I'm inventing stuff and, mm-hmm. and doing new things. So we've got some fabulous plans. Uh, let me say to you um, more around the startup, mm-hmm. uh, which is, as I said, very exciting territory for us. And in fact, giving the startups a reason to believe they're part of our community. We had over 20 startups at the awards this year. Mm-hmm. And they just all reported back to us individually about how exciting it was to suddenly feel that they were part of something. Mm-hmm. So if we as ARN let them know that they're part of the of the partners, and I think we had 75 partners at the awards this year, so plus 20 startups, it's extraordinary. Like this is a very important part of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so encouraging the startups to feel part of what we do, and we've got some initiatives around that. Um, expansion. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the only word that I'm going to tell you in terms okay. of that. But definite plans for expansion. Um, yeah. Um, Excellent. More brands. More brands. All more right. Brands. So it fun, fun, fun ahead. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's all the secrets I'm going to let you know. About Fantastic. That right well, that's you know what it's just going to keep people watching, which is wonderful. <laughs> and you know, I imagine you do a lot of reading. You said you were a learning leader, um, and I think every leader reads um every leader wants to improve wants to learn more about themselves learn about business you know sometimes fiction sometimes faction sometimes non-fiction you know if you were to sort of think to yourself you know this is the book that i would recommend to people to read what book would that be and here i'm going to be your greatest disappointment okay i am a learning leader i do not learn from reading self-help books okay i do not I have tried a couple of Mm -hmm. times, realising the capability of those books and how they've changed people around me. I learn from reading websites, Mm -hmm. I learn from reading magazines, but where I really learn from most is listening to people and watching people. It's that kind of um, osmosis of information that helps me to develop. But back to reading, I am a great reader, but I'm the person that I'm part of a book club and if we're doing a non-fiction book that month, I go to movie club instead, <laughs> or I wash my hair. <laughs> I am not a reader of non-fiction, but I love fiction. I love the capability of losing myself uh-huh. in a novel. And I like lots of types of genres, or lots of genres, um, and I actually um, love to read, but I'm a I'm a fiction reader. I can tell you what my favourite fiction books are. Why not? Let's Would share, you like to share, know? Share with me your top three fiction books. 
Ooh, okay, I will. All right, top three is interesting. I'll, I will say Secret History, which you mm -hmm. may or may not have read, but it's no. a fabulous story of university students who get together and commit a crime. Okay. And it's the unravelling of that group. Uh, it's an unintentional crime, but it's the unravelling of th that group. So it's almost a psycho-thriller, cool. that one. Uh, book number two. Okay, I, I need to preface it by saying I have a huge passion outside of work, mm -hmm. and that is for travel. And one of the countries that I love to go to most is India. India is my heartland. I okay. absolutely love India. I love the, the movement, the spirituality, the excitement, the colour. I love the variety of landscape and people. Have you been to India? Not yet. Go to India. Not yet. It'll change your life. Going to India changes people's lives. Right. It actually does. It makes you recognise who you are. Not all people have that experience, but it actually changed my life. And I went there first when I was mm, 25, and I've continued to go there over several occasions since. Brings that back to this book, which is called A Fine Balance, which mm -hmm. was a Booker Prize winner and is an extraordinary book about a group of people who live together in a tiny, tiny, tiny little abode in Bombay and they come from various parts of India and their stories are unravelled and there's a lot of tragedy and there's a lot of comedy and there's a lot of hardship and it is... India is a tragedy. It's a joy but it's also a tragedy and this is a tragic story but it's still, the interesting thing about that is, and this is what you'll find in India when you do go, mm -hmm. is that against this backdrop of tragedy, of poverty, of abject misery, everybody is so happy and so smiley and so embracing of life. And I find that extraordinary. So that book and the beautiful, beautiful way it was written actually just highlighted the value of India to me. Wonderful. So it's gorgeous. And this is an interesting one. Um, and I'll have to choose. My favourite writer is John le Carré. Uh -huh. Absolutely, I think, the most underrated writer of the late 20th century and now still writing at the age of 90 mm -hmm. into the 21st century. Um, I think his problem was that he was typecast as being um, part of the spy thriller genre. But in fact, if you can look beyond that, and many very fabulous writers like Ian McEwan mm -hmm. have, I mean, Ian McEwan says he's the greatest prose writer of our time. If you look beyond that and look at the way that he, his prose, his characterization, he does that against a backdrop of spies and espionage, but the development of his characters. And so my, my favourite book, and I know it's subsequently been made into a TV series, so that might make it more accessible, is The Night Manager. Okay. And so that was a series from yep. the BBC last year, which was a very good representation. It's good. Um, but the character, Jonathan Pine, who is the, the lead in that, the person who by whatever reason has to become the spy, is in fact one of the most glorious characters of all time because he's fallible, because he's flawed, because his motivation is never around being a James Bond type person. It's actually around revenge and wanting to actually hurt the person who hurt the person he loved. You see, and that, this is a really interesting thing. So we talk about business books and everybody else who I've had on the couch or in my podcasts has been talking about business books. And I love the fact that you've chosen non-business related texts. Because even within that, you can pick up little things that you're saying, right? Like if you talk about the character from The Night Manager, 
things that were coming out there relates back to what you were saying about authenticity and being who you are and being able to be flawed and turning up at work the way you want to be, etc. All that comes out of it, it doesn't have to be business books. Oh, it can good. be Thank God. other books, right? <laughs> and, and clearly there's some, some great messages that have come out of there. Thank so God. I'm going to ask you one last question, Susan, which is if you could do anything you wanted um, at all, what would it be at a professional level? Mm. So... When I was at high school, I wanted to be a journalist and I thought that was what my profession was going to be. There were some restrictions around that when I actually came to the end of high school and wanted to go to university because at that stage, journalists were not um, encouraged. In fact, it was really discouraged that you go to university. Um, so um, Fairfax, who I was offered a cadetship with, said no university. So I put the journalism to one side and went on to university and I was editor of the school, sorry, of the college magazine and I did lots of other things around journalism and was engaged and I was part of the radio at, at the university, etc. But um, when I finished university, I actually did not pursue the journalism. However, fate's a fabulous thing and things changed and after a couple of years, somehow, I answered a tiny, tiny little ad in the newspaper, <laughs> which was for IDG Communications, and it was in the very early days, and I applied for a job and started working with Computer World. And so somehow I ended up not necessarily doing a lot of journalism, but I ended up in media, and I ended up in, my, in the place that I had always said that I wanted to be. Um, and the, that career has absorbed me. Now, if I look back at things that I could have done, should have done, um, I got into law, should I have been a lawyer? I'll come back to that. I got into NIDA, should I have been an actor? Potentially. Um, should I have been a writer? Should I have done the thing I love to read? Should I have therefore gone on to have written fabulous books? Um, I look now at friends of mine who are actors and it's a bloody hard life. Mm -hmm. My aunt was an actor, very hard life. Uh, I look at um, my daughter, who is that far away from the end of her law degree, and she's smart and she's fabulous and interesting, but she spends hours and hours and hours reading contracts and tiny little small print, and, and she has to read cases and understand every detail. That is so not me. I'm a big <laughs> picture, broad brush, leave the detail to somebody else person. So, no, that's not where I should have been. Mm -hmm. So, I ended up in media. And Ronnie, I probably am saying what every other person says, fate gives you a very, very, very good chance in life. And I've ended up in the industry which excites me, which suits my personality because it allows me to invent things, it allows me to create things, it allows me to interact with people very, very closely, to be the social animal that I am, and to learn about things every day. So I landed in the right role. That's just fantastic. So Susan, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us Pleasure. today. It's been actually quite fascinating for me. I had no idea what you did every day as a publisher of, of you know, ARN. Neither do I. Um, <laughs> it clearly changes day to day, but, you know, your passion, you can see that, you know, your, your willingness to change things, your, in fact, your intent to change things, your intent to invent, to do things differently, to make a difference, to report, you know, and have a team of people around you that can just deliver such fantastic content to the audiences every day. I think, you know, a lot of people would aspire to do what you're doing, Susan. And thank, thank you. you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks for listening to the Incentra Download. If you loved it, 
please leave us a five-star review in iTunes so we can get more epic leaders on the show. Dare to be different.